necklace and said, let's get this show on the road. And we appreciate you being in service. You don't have to get so quiet so quickly. And uh, that's a set in the bad precedence. But I appreciate so much the presence of the Lord in the service today, men. And you're, how many of you know the presence of the Lord is often, <laughs> I don't want to say dependent, but often is aided by the willingness of each of us to worship God to a degree unrestrained, to a degree, right? To bring in a uh, truly a praise and adoration. And when you do that, the scripture says, Pastor Valaday, the scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Is that right? He inhabits the praises of his people. I have to make one additional announcement very quickly today. Um, that is um, Reverend Doyle Jones, Assembly of God missionary evangelist. He's in his 70s, who is going to be with us on July the 3rd. That's two weeks from today. For an a.m. and a p.m. service. So if you're interested a little bit, you can go online. I hope you're interested a lot, but if you're interested in advance, you can find he's got a, a website, but he also uh, has a Facebook page where you'll see some of the pictures of his um, ministry when he has been able to travel. I shared with you last week that a missionary evangelist is not as known in our generation, but it differs from a missionary, which typically a missionary kind of becomes like a pastor in a local particular locality, whatever that location, whatever that people group is. But a missionary evangelist is one that goes into the mission field and then aids those missionaries uh, by being an evangelist, going from place to place to place. And uh, Brother Doyle has done that for many, many years, is still doing that today, preaches a lot in Latin America to thousands of people, oddly enough. And, and I'll say this, I mean, just not the most, please don't, I hope he's not watching my sermon here, not just the super most dynamic in that sense, but God uses him in a powerful way. And he seems to have given him the gift of faith to pray with people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And my journey along the Pentecostal movement is I have observed that and kind of noticed that there seems to be that God has men and women that seem to have some type of spiritual endowment, and I simply call it the gift of faith, that aids people in praying to receive the baptism. And so, Brother Doyle, I just felt in my heart of hearts a couple of weeks ago um, I, I, Brother Billy Adams, I've told you before, had been encouraging me for about two years now and to invite Doyle, and I just wasn't ready to do so. But about two weeks ago, I almost just felt like that we could use the aid of someone who has this spiritual gifting in their life. Come on, to help us, to help us to, to, to receive all that God has for us. And I said it last week, I'm going to say it one more time, Reverend Doyle Jones cannot fill anybody with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? But he can be a tool, right, or a vehicle that God chooses to use to help us in our faith, right, to strengthen us to believe. And so I want to encourage you on that 4th of July weekend, the fireworks of Heber Springs Chamber of Commerce will be July the 2nd. So, July the 3rd, we'll have an a.m. and a p.m. service on that Sunday. And uh, we're just going to let the Lord have his way. Amen? But i got to ask you to do something. That is, you need to begin to undergird it in prayer right now. 
If we don't create any expectation, we'll just have an extra meeting is all we'll have. But if we have a sense of expectation that God has, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, he has tempered the body as he sees fit. And he chose to put certain gifts in the church that could aid the body in certain ways that we might be missing at various times. And to be honest, the gift of an evangelist is not as readily um, available in our generation as it has been historically in the Assemblies of God or Pentecostalism. Amen? So that's a long three, four or five minute commercial um, to encourage you. Are y'all out there today? To encourage you to put that on your calendar. That's two weeks from today. Plan to join us. And let's just trust that God has ordered this time together. Amen? So now... Happy Father's Day to all the men, as Joe has already said. If you know anything about our assembly on either Mother's Day or Father's Day, I oftentimes choose not to necessarily speak entirely just to fathers or mothers or in relation to us honoring our father and mother. And I typically choose this opportunity to focus on for the women on, uh, on motherhood, but not on motherhood, but shifting on womanhood uh, on Mother's Day and then the men on Father's Day, just simply on being a man, being who God's called you to be. I escaped a near-death experience on Mother's Day when I ministered my sermon, Woman, Know Your Place. And if you're new to our church, even just me saying that puts me at certain risk of if you're new and you hear it for the first time. But watch it or listen to it, and I think you'll see a rocky takeoff, but probably a relatively smooth landing. Today, I don't think I necessarily have to have a rocky takeoff. Take this, is, this is an honor that I have. It's an honor to speak to the men of our assembly. To have an opportunity where your eyes and your ears are attentive in this vein. And knowing that as I speak to the men of this assembly, the men of this assembly, our lives differ. Not everybody's the same. Right? There's no carbon copy. There's no exact... You know, okay, everybody is in this particular either season of life or situation of life. But how many of you know that God's grace is sufficient for all things? Right? It's just sufficient. And, it, and God's grace is sufficient, sir, for your situation and your season of life no matter where you are. Whether you're married or unmarried. Whether you're divorced. Whether you've had children or not. Whether your children are close to you. Or whether or not they're estranged from you. I'm telling you, the word of God does not fail. Come on now, it doesn't. And I believe the Lord is going to give us a word in season today. Now, the sermon, I'll try to be very, very transparent. The sermon that I have, I'm preaching today has been in my sermon vault. Uh, and one person under the sound of my voice has heard this sermon previously, and this is Shane Parrish. For this message, Shane, was preached the first time in the open-air tabernacle in El Dorado. When you were not even a member of our assembly, and you and Jared Carlton journeyed with me, when brother, this is Scott Etheridge, brother Joe's, Joe Joe's uh, brother, invited me to come and preach to the men of his assembly. And it's been... With staples still intact in the sermon files from that time till now. So when would that have been? When did you join us here? Somewhere in eight. Somewhere in eight. So seven or eight. So it's been hidden in the sermon files. 
However, when Pastor Larry Burton was among us, he read from the same text of Scripture. Well, he quoted, I shall not do that because I cannot do that. <laughs> he, he quoted the same text of Scripture that we're going to read here today. And as he said so, as he was saying something, there was one phrase that caught my mind. And I really thought that was the direction that I was going to go. And so after praying and meditating, the Lord really seemed to confirm that for me here. And so we're going to turn to Genesis 32 today. Genesis 32, where we're going to read 11 verses of Scripture. And then I have an additional verse that I'm going to read that I did not give Lord. And then there's one additional passage of only four verses that we'll read a little later into the sermon. But we're going to commence in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis chapter 32. Amen? All right, Aaron, right there. Sorry, I was throwing that to you. That was my note to remind myself. So can you pick that up for me? Okay, so good. Thank you. If you found it, say amen. Well, how about we honor the reading of Scripture by standing today, if you would. We invite you to do so. Obviously, you're not obligated to do so, but we encourage you, if you can. We're following an ancient biblical tradition of standing when the Scriptures are read publicly. Um, verse number 22 of Genesis 32 says, and he, and he rose up. Well, that's a good place to stand up. Amen. And he rose up that night and took, this is a little awkward right here, his two wives. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you right now is a good time for you to just shut up right now. I'm just tell you right now. You just need to let me, let me read this text and you just need to, let's go on. And it's two women servants. It's getting worse. And his 11 sons, and he passed over the ford at Jabbok. And he took them, and he sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And Pastor Burton quoted that text. That's when my heart was reminded of this word. And there wrestled a man. Actually, Pastor Burton said, wrestled. Did y'all notice that? I, did. I try not to be critical, because I know there are the English you know, critics among us that just cringe when they hear a lot of my vocabulary. So I try not to be overly critical, but I did catch that he said they wrestled a man. I, li I kind of like that, wrestled. But they wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, this is the angel, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, being Jacob, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and with men, and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask my, after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. 
And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. And we'll go ahead and put the title up here today. And I, this is probably my biggest struggle was the, 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 direct, the exact direction in the title. Not that necessarily the title's that important. But I went ahead and chose to take it from the text of Scripture since that was where that I believe the quickening in my heart took place when I heard those words, knowing from which they were taken, Jacob was left alone. We are going to be developing that thought. But I do have an addendum verse of Scripture that came to me just a moment ago during worship that I want to add to this. And it's in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. It's verse 21. I didn't give them this. Whether they get it on the screen is, is not that necessarily critical. Many of you have your Bibles open. Many of you are scrolling on your screen. The 21st verse, or it's very fast, faster than I can turn in the Bible. Verse 21 says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Maybe we'll understand that just a little bit more here in just a little while. So, Jacob was left alone. A lot of thoughts that I could share with you. Today, men, this is in my heart. We're going to... We're going to see, we're going to see why, why was Jacob left alone. We're going to elaborate on what happened when he was alone. And then what was the effect of what took place from that moment that happened on this fateful night in Genesis 32. I feel the Lord in this house today. The Lord is holy. He is holy, and we honor his holiness today. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for this group of men and women. God, I, am, I feel so limited to speak to men today because this text is so sacred. The scriptures are sacred, but this divine encounter was so holy. Contrast it in my own life, and, and I will feel shallow. So, God, I, I must just have... The clarity of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray publicly what I prayed privately. And that is, let preaching come easy in this house today, God. Father, if you can use the tool of a preacher today, God, then I ask that you use me. And even as equally as much as, as I pray to be used to speak as I say so often, give me the tongue of the learned that I might have a word in season for he that is weary. I pray for the hearts of the men and the women today to be ready to receive the word of God. Especially the men today. Especially in Jesus' mighty name and all God's children said amen and amen. Thank you. You have blessed me as a body of believers of being here today with rain in the forecast. Some kind of coming just right at church time. Many of you have come here today because of a parent or a family member that you're here in service with, and uh, you have honored us by coming to the Lord's house, and I feel, um, I, I feel a sense of gratitude and uh, humility 
Um, my, uh, some of my own children uh, are in service with us tonight or today, excuse me. And um, I, I always enjoy a moment when my children can be in service with us today, and especially on Father's Day. From the heart of a pastor, just very quickly, before I begin to unlock this text, I'll try to expose a little bit, sometimes overlooked, of the challenge of ministering the word to people, just to be honest. So, when you prepare your heart to minister, there's a lot of things that could come from the outside that become distractions. And then challenges, teaching a class on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I have to quickly be able to turn, turn the channel quickly. Now, I am an expert at turning the channel. I've mastered that over many, many years. Um, but to be able to turn the channel and then to be able to step in, in a totally different environment. Several of uh, kids and grandkids came up yesterday, and we always have a tremendous time. But how many of you know that it also comes at a cost of physical labor, right? And you feel that effect of it, and then, and then you're going to go into it a little bit later. Well, then we also have the context of the gospel. The gospel, we hope and pray that no matter what our subject matter is, whether it was on Mother's Day or Father's Day, that contained in this package is still the simple gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, right? Though I'm, I, we didn't read about Jesus just then. We read about Jacob. But it's always still our heart's desire is that male or female, if there's someone here under the sound of our voice that doesn't know Christ in the package that you're receiving today related to Jacob, that the Lord will open that up to you. And so if... In the natural, these things are impossible for so many things to come together. But how many believe in the supernatural power of Almighty God? Because the Word of God is God-breathed, and we're going to trust that the things that are written are exactly what we need to read and hear and ponder for today. So again, one of the greatest privileges that I have happens once a year, and that is I get to speak with a little bit more of a narrow focus towards the men of this assembly. And to be able to look and to challenge us, ourselves as men. And to be able to look in the mirror and ask hard questions. To be able to listen to the Holy Spirit. For God to shape within us the character that He wants to be displayed in us and through us. To not necessarily always be the same person we have always been. To know that the power of change does not always just have one singular moment and it ends right there but in the power of Christ there is a continual change being worked in our heart and life right the Bible says that we are being formed or changed into the image of Jesus and so today I felt the Lord in my heart to take me back to a familiar person of scripture he's more familiar than many of you may even know though you may not know his story that often but you're at least familiar with his name because there you read in the first place here in Genesis 32 when he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And so when we pray and we think about the Lord God of Israel, then you can see it coming to this kind of commencement right here in the life of 
a man by the name of Jacob. So just very, very quickly, let's just kind of lay a foundation if I can. So Jacob is born to a very religious family at this particular time. And I know religion took a little different look in those days. And people worshiped the one true God, Yahweh, without the aid of edifices that we do today. Even without the aid of holy writ, what we call scripture today. They typically worship based upon a possession of faith that was given to them by their fathers. And so Jacob here is none the different. And so because his grandfather, his grandfather is Abraham, the patriarch of old, the one dwelling in Ur of the, uh, of the Chaldees and led by the Holy Spirit to go into a land that was not his, but God was promising to him. And his story is so rich in Scripture of how that by faith he believed God and was marked by by circumcision and the promise of covenant to his seed, God promised to give the land. And if you know anything about the story of, of Abraham, you know that then God did bless him, even though he stumbled through the tent of Hagar at one particular moment, God did bless him with the promised seed. And that promised seed was Isaac, a son born of promise. And, uh, and then he, Isaac, when you read Isaac's story, it's not as great of detail as either Jacob's or Abraham's. It's kind of in the middle there in the book of Genesis. But I'll tell you what, what's exciting about uh, Isaac is, is Isaac seems to really walk by faith. He seems to be very faithful. There's only a moment or two where there's anything that we can look at with a little bit of criticism that causes us to kind of judge Isaac's faith and character. And so, as a result... Uh, we see that there was a moment in the life of Isaac's wife, Rebecca, that after about 20 years of marriage, that she was still barren. There's no child in her womb. And so it's Isaac who entreats the Lord, prays and seeks the Lord on behalf of his wife. And the Lord hears his prayer. And the Lord promises, a, 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 a gives child. And there's a child that's produced. And, and, and Rebecca's kind of struggling with it a little bit. Because, I mean, her pregnancy was kind of wacky from day one. And there's a lot of movement on the inside of her. And she's kind of, you know, she needs an ultrasound. And in those days, she couldn't go to the doctor and get an ultrasound. She, she calls upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord says, Rebecca, there's two nations that are in your womb. And they are struggling or striving one with the other. And it was that way from the time that she gave birth. The script, she, even the Lord had promised that the, that the uh, older, the elder, would serve the younger. And if you know anything about that story, you know that when she did give birth, that the first son that came out was Esau. And the scripture says he was red and hairy all over. And that as he's coming out of the, of, of the birth canal, that literally, I mean, it's very explicit in Scripture. The Scripture says that the hand of Jacob, his twin brother, comes out and catches hold of his heel even in birth. And as a result, they name him Jacob, which in essence means supplanter, for he has taken hold of his brother's heel. And when you read the story there a little bit, and there's not a lot of narrative about it, we see some things that kind of stand out along the record that says that as the boys grew, and the scripture says that, it says, and the boys grew, and every parent that's ever raised a boy, you know the boys grow, and they eat like horses as they grow. And so the boys grew, and that was a terrible amen for anybody that's ever raised a teenage boy. And so, and I had three, Sherry and I had three separated by three and a half years. And I'm telling you what, their legs were hollow during that time period. We couldn't buy enough groceries. And so the boys grew. It's what the Bible says, Genesis 25 and 27. But then it begins to tell us about some things that are shaping in the lives 
of these two boys. Esau was a cunning hunter. And he becomes, as he's growing into his teenage and young adult years, he is a man of the field. And then the scripture says this about Jacob, King James English. He was a plain man. And that doesn't mean he didn't have any personality, but it meant that he liked the plains versus when they hunted in the field, often it was in the mountainous area. He liked the plains, and he liked to stay a little bit closer to the tent. (laughs) And then the scripture says this, as a result of these two distinct personalities being formed in these twins, because they're obviously not identical twins, and they're not sharing a lot of the same expressions and personality, tragically, and this is a very difficult thing, and I When Pastor Burton ministered this a few weeks ago, I could feel the tension of these statements that he shared here because I know this to be true in the lives of a lot of men. Because it says this, that that, that Isaac loved Esau. Now, it wasn't that Isaac didn't love Jacob, but because Esau was a man of the field, then Isaac was drawn to him. He had maybe more in common. And the Bible says this, that, his, that Rebekah loved Jacob. And so when you think about that, it often creates for us, was there jealousies? Obviously there was some. Was there competition? Yes and no. There probably wasn't a lot of competition in certain areas because it seems as if Jacob doesn't uh, possess the prowess in the natural that Esau does. And, you know, I have really tried to preach and evangelize this over the years when I've preached this this particular context of the story. And, you know, back when I was in school, and which seems like a long time ago now, but a lot has changed from that time till now. When we were, Sherry and I graduated from Wilburn back in those days, number one, has nothing to do with the sermon, but there was a smoking section for the students. And they got a smoke break at the end of class. What in the world? What were people thinking? And, uh, and then number two, it was not uncommon. So at Wilburn, if you had good attendance, uh, then they would, let, they, would, they, would, they would close the school on the Friday before deer season because uh, these rural communities learned that so many of, especially the boys, were going to be out. Anyhow, we might as well just make it a happy day and close the school. And then from there, I heard somebody from Concord laughing, so I'm sure they were doing the same thing there. <laughs> um. But it was not uncommon in the 70s and the 80s for boys to drive to school in their pickup truck with a gun rack in the back window glass of their truck and a deer rifle and a shotgun pulling onto the campus of the school. Now, you do that today, and we'll be bailing you out if we can raise enough money in the jail right here across the street from us. No, the jail's back here, but the police station is here. I'm sorry. So with this, so, but you can see in this moment here, I mean, you can immediately picture this with these two boys. Obviously, Esau is competing at the highest level athletically, right? He's pitching the baseball in the field with his dad, glove up, bat, arm straight, pa- practicing basketball. Elbow, I can tell you more about that. Elbow in, break it at 1 o'clock, all those things. He's hunting. He's drawing his bow. He's learning to track. While Jacob seems pretty contented to be watching HGTV. And even occasionally, he's okay to sit beside his mother and watch the Hallmark Channel, God forbid. And, then, and so you can just see this. Now, it, in, in, to, tragically, in today's wicked generation, 
we would have, the, if Jacob would have went to school with that closeness and fondness with his mother, there would have been a distorted teacher school system somewhere that would have been trying to tell him he's trans because he liked being near his mother and he liked to, to cook quite a bit. And so, but thank God that didn't happen uh, to Jacob. Jacob, we read, fathered quite a few children along the way. I'll just throw this one out, man. I'm just going to be honest. You really don't want to be one or the other. You don't really want to be Esau, and you don't want to be Jacob. You want to be kind of in the middle somewhere along the way. I always kind of felt like this. I want to be a country boy who can survive. I can, you know, whatever it takes. I can skin a, a, a buck, and I can run a trot line. But I can also go in the, in the tent and cook dinner for the family. I'm not quite as good at cleaning up as others would do, but that's okay. And I'll just throw this one out for all the young men. This is just something I learned in my early days, and it helped. And that is romance starts in the kitchen. It doesn't start with the perfume that you buy or the roses that you bring home. It starts in the kitchen, right? And I'm not talking about when, you're, when you are being served food that she's prepared, but it's when you're helping out around the house. Right Now, that's just don't let me get distracted there somewhere along the line. But I'll tell you what, that'll keep romance on a higher level. Oh, well, I'll just, I, I'm, get, I'm preaching better than you guys are shouting, but I'm going to make it too personal if I'm not care, careful. And Sister Sherry will shrink out of here quietly if we're not careful. But the thing about Jacob is, the Scripture says that Jacob gained Esau's birthright. I won't go into all that. When, when Esau was famished, he came from the field, and there was a little bit of trickery that took place there. And, uh, and so he gained his birthright, but later he gained his blessing, the blessing of his father Isaac, something that they so longed for. And this is when they, you know, the, the mother had, uh, the mother Rebecca had Jacob act like Esau so that she could fool uh, Isaac because Isaac's eyes are a little bit dim. And that story alone tells you a little bit about Jacob's nature because Jacob learned early on he could play the church game and there are men under the sound of my voice you too can play the church game because even in that moment his dad asked him because go back and read that time doesn't allow me to develop but I can't miss this very important point because his father who couldn't see but could smell the smell of the field and he thought that it was Esau, but he asked him a question. He said, how, how did you get the food so quickly? How did you? And Jacob said, because the Lord blessed me with the venison. And that was untrue. He had gone out into the sheepfold and got two little lambs, and they had cooked it up and brought it in quickly. Esau's still out there trying to track, looking for, you know, a, a, an actual animal. And, and, and he gains the blessing as a, as a result. And so when you see this, though, it seems it's a little bit of Jacob's personality that begins to emerge. He is content to stand in the blessing of someone else. That's a dangerous place to be, to always be in someone else's blessing. The reason why I say that is because God, our Father, can bless each one of us. Come on, somebody. I don't have to have your blessing to be blessed. He's got one for me. Glory to God. And so as a result of when he, what we call, he didn't really steal the blessing, but or he did in that moment. He stole the blessing. Jacob was forced to flee because Esau, Esau was waiting for a day, and he was waiting for his father to die. And he said, I'm going to take him out. He, I mean, it was, this is a very difficult passage of Scripture. So Rebecca learns about it. She says, we got to let Jacob get out of here. And he's going to take, he doesn't, he's not married. We'll let him take a, a wife of my, of my mother's kin. So Jacob takes off on a journey. And this is the, that's what I preach typically. 
Jacob's journey, where, journey cross, or he, where, where Jacob crosses with a staff in his hand, and especially, and this is the most famous of all, perhaps one of the most famous journeys in all the Word of God, Jacob, with nothing but a staff in his hand, crosses, and he goes, uh, crosses a certain river, gets to a certain place, and there, as the night falls upon him, he pillows his head on a stone. If you ever read the Word of God, you know Genesis 28 tells us the story that there, while Jacob's head is pillowed on a stone, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac comes to him, pierced to him in his dream. He sees a ladder with angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth and the Lord standing over the ladder and he speaks to Jacob and he promises Jacob that he will bless him if he'll but follow him. And when Jacob wakens out of sleep, he recognizes that he's been in the presence of Almighty God. He has heard the voice of God. He fears God. He feels God. He know, how many of you know you can feel the presence of a living God? Right? You can feel his presence. Jacob knows that this is a divine and a holy and a sacred moment. He even pours oil on the rock to commemorate the moment, and he even named the moment. It was a moment where he would not, remember, or he would not forget it. He said, I'm going to call this place Bethel, the house of God, because this is nothing more than God's house. But there's something that I noted in my studies on this. It was a divine and a holy and a sacred encounter but Jacob is not truly changed from that moment because he makes a commitment to God. Listen to what this commitment is. It's a conditional con commitment. And if that's where your faith is, if your faith is a conditional commitment, then you have truly not been changed by the power of God's grace. Because, listen, let me tell you, conditional con commitment differs from surrendering to God. Jacob makes a conditional commitment. If you'll bring me back to this place, then I'm going to serve you. And that's where I find a lot of men. I find a lot of men pastoring that we live in conditional faith. As long as we feel like maybe God knows where we're at or something's going semi-good in our life, then we're going to serve him to a degree. We even recognize him. We call him God. We even pray occasionally. But we don't have that full surrender. God is not looking from you today a conditional commitment. God is looking for every part, every fiber of your being. Jesus said you will love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's what God's looking for us, from us today, men. So Jacob's journey would then take him to the land of the people of the east. If you know anything about Scripture, typically the east represents sin. And Jacob is soon married, or if I could say it, and we read a little bit about it, he is quickly, whew, I can't even go into all that one. He is entangled in marriage quickly. Not just one wife, two wives. And then, according to the custom of that day, when there was a barren womb, they could give the maidservant. Before you look up, Jacob had crossed the brook with nothing but a staff in his hand. He's got four wives and a lot of children and mo children coming. Are y'all out there today? And so that story then, again, is there's a little bit of it when you think about this. It presents to us a unique challenge because that's a difficult situation to maintain. Children from multiple wives, kind of all dwelling under one or two tents, that, that he's got to have the responsibility to try to somehow keep the family unit together. And, you know, we live in a generation today where there's a lot of previous marriage entanglements. 
People come into the church and they're at a moment when they're really seeking God, but it doesn't mean that everything in your past is instantly corrected or erased and you're dealing with a lot of challenges like previous marriages or entanglements or child support and the challenge. It's a difficult place to be, correct? Right? And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to belittle. I'm just trying to highlight it for just a moment. But if you follow the story of Jacob, you'll see that once again, Jacob seems to settle in. Once again, he seems contented to walk in someone else's blessing because he's taking care of his father-in-law, Laban's sheep. And you know what? The life of a shepherd, especially a pastor in our generation, but a shepherd in that generation, it wasn't easy. The scripture says, it talks about that as a shepherd. He was out in the heat of the day following the sheep. And then when the sun, if you know anything about the eastern climate, when the sun fades into obscurity in the evening time, it can go from burning hot to freezing cold all in one few hour shift of time. And the scripture talks about that. He's away from his family. He has little sleep. There's wild beasts. And all the while, none of the animals that he's watching over are his own. He has very little reward for his effort. And his own employer, which is his father-in-law, Laban, has changed his wages ten times. And he has no board that he can petition and write to, workman's comp or workman's you know, association. Say He just has to accept it if he wants to continue to live there with his wives and with his children. And, but the, if you notice the story about uh, Jacob, one day something within him begins to change. There's a part of his journey that I just want to draw your attention to. There's a moment where Jacob, remember where I mentioned about the blessing of God, where he'd been content to walk in other people's blessings? I noticed that somewhere along the line, Jacob begins to realize that he's no longer contented to just watch over somebody else's blessing. He wants his own, and he needs his own. He's moved. What's moving? Probably the sound of the little children scurrying around in the tent when Jacob is realizing he can't raise and become who God wants him to, to be by always walking in somebody else's blessing. He's got these children that God's given him, and he needs the blessing in his own life. And then the story shifts, and you can read this. This is a, it's a powerful story. Jacob's, Jacob's account is one of the longest stories in all of Scripture, kind of like my sermon. But it carries so much depth to it. When he begins to seek God for blessing, how many of you know God is a faithful God? God begins to bless him. If you know that story, that's where the, the, the if you will, the livestock of Laban that Laban has cheated Jacob out of up until this time kind of gets transferred. I'm telling you, that's why sometimes you don't need to argue your case. Sometimes you just got to let God be the master of pleading your cause. Come on, somebody. And so sheep and goat and, men, and, and, and cattle began to, over a, another 10 years, or, or, there, there is a, a process, and suddenly a blessing, and he goes, and he suddenly now has his own herds and, and his own flocks, and, and in order to do that, he's getting other resources. He's got men servants and maid servants, and in doing so, jealousy is created in the heart of Laban, and during that time period, it's a critical moment. And the Lord speaks to Jacob because tension is starting to mount. Laban is seeing the blessing. And many of you have probably been there. You've seen others that have watched your life. And the moment God begins to bless you, jealousy gets aroused in their heart. Right? And it forces you to make certain decisions. And during this time period, Genesis 31 verse 3 says this. The Lord says to Jacob, return to the land of thy fathers. And so Jacob gathers his family, talks to them, and they all agree it's time for us to go. And he begins to make this journey. 
And he rises up and he commences to leave the land that he fled to 20 years earlier with nothing but a staff and and just enough provisions to get him where he was going. And now he's got a family, and not just any family, a very large family. And he's got many uh, livestock that that has caused him to be a man of wealth. Uh, And this process of going from where he is to where God wants him to go or to be, it commences. And I want to say this about this for a moment. One thing I've learned as a pastor is sometimes faith is not always just a place or a moment. Sometimes it's a journey. It's got to have a place, a commencement. It's got to have an initiation. It's got to have a moment. But I'll tell you what, it's not always measured out entirely just in that singular moment. It becomes a journey. And I want to say this. I don't believe that there is a gray area of faith. I don't believe that. I believe black or white. There's no gray area of faith because if Jacob, if there was, Jacob would have been contented to live in that gray area of faith. But I will say this. There are seasons of transition in our lives. There are seasons that we find ourselves where we feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. We feel the pull of the Holy Spirit. We become no longer contented to dwell where we're dwelling right now because we feel like, wait a minute, this is not who I was created to be. This is not where I was created to be. This is not, the, this is not my destiny. I feel God pulling me. And again, it's not always a translation where you're here today and gone tomorrow, but this journey of letting go and then embracing. Come on, somebody. A journey. Men, you're, many of you under the sound of my voice, you're in that journey right now. Some of you are still trying to decide within yourself, can I become the person that I thought in my heart that I should be, but I've been reluctant to embrace this part. Some of you have failed to take the baton of faith. You come to church every now and then. You come especially on holidays or something because you honor heritage. And I'm not in any wise diminishing that moment of faith for you you but let me tell you God's got something far greater than that God wants you to be a man of faith consistent not conditional upon situation but that no matter what happens you are going to put your faith and trust in the living God come on somebody and so many are in the still in the east but God is calling you to a higher place so Jacob prays during this journey because I haven't talked about it but we're going to bring it up now as we transition the sermon Jacob prays the most sincere prayer of his life, the most sincere. How many of you know this today? God knows our prayer. He knows your heart. Can I say it again? About four of you really were in agreement with me. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you this. That's why sometimes it's not what you say, but what you say is very important. And you can fool some people, but you can't fool God. See, I can copy and paste words that I can pray to God that I've heard other believers say, but it may not truly reflect my heart, right? God knows the sincerity of your heart. Come on now. And this prayer that is so powerful is four verses. It's powerful enough that I wanted to make sure I put it on the screen because I want you to see it. I want you to see the brokenness that begins in Jacob's heart here that's going to find its apex in just a little while. Jacob said, here's his prayer, O God of my father Abraham, And God of my father Isaac. I told you that he was a man of rich heritage of faith. Of men that believed God. And as he approaches God, he does so through the heritage of faith. He said this, which saith unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred and I will deal well with thee. I'm not worthy. That's when your prayer begins to, that's when things begin to shift. 
<laughs> I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which you have showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I have become two bands, because he had put his family in two particular bands as they were journeying. Here's his fear. There's a fear inside of him. Because to go back home as the Lord seemed to direct his thoughts and direction that way, he's going to have to face the man, his brother, his twin brother, that he fled from 20 years earlier, who was ready to kill him. The last time he saw Esau, or that, that Jacob saw Esau, Esau was planning to kill him. And now, and Jacob's still a man of the plain. He is not a war hardened or, or a hardened combat war veteran here. He's been a shepherd in the field. And he says, Esau, he said, because I fear him. I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst unto me. And then he begins to remind God of what he said. He said, and I tell you what, that too is beginning to reveal a shift in Jacob's faith. Because when you begin to remind God of what he said, instead of what you're saying, are you out there? That's when faith is beginning to work inside you. I will surely do thee good, and I will make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. And the rest of the narrative before we got to our scripture text was that he sent some of his servants to go in front of him and see if he could meet Esau. And when they did, those servants met him, and then they came back to Jacob and said, Jacob, Esau's on his way, and he's got 400 men with him. And, and he said, he's coming to find you. And, and they didn't really tell him about what was really in Esau's heart. He didn't know that God had already softened Esau's heart. He just sees a, a, his brother coming with 400 armed men, and his fears taking hold of him. He's divided his family up in two different groups. And that's where we come to this moment in the life of Jacob. That's that particular moment right here when his greatest fear is beginning to emerge. The fear of facing the past has kept many from a faith-filled future. Are you out there today? And he's needing God to do something in his heart and life. And this is where this scripture tells us a very unique moment in the history of Jacob. When he, at this particular brook, pauses and he sends his family, his wives and, men, and women servants, with his 12 sons, or 11 sons I think at this time, over. And he sends them over, and the daughters as well. And yet for some unknown reason, Jacob doesn't cross the brook. This is a critical moment. And there's a lot of ways you can spin this. I, I, I kind of wrote it this way. Jacob's family's over the brook represents the kingdom. Mom and the kids are in the kingdom, but Jacob is still in the land of the east. And so it was in an outdoor tabernacle under the light of the moon's reflection that night and the, and the, the star's brilliance that Jacob would sit. And the verse said, and Jacob was left alone. Men, sometimes... Who you are and who God's called you to be is hanging in a moment just like that. And Jacob was left alone, pondering, wondering. I can only suppose praying. Are you out there today? Now listen, there's some things that are still at play that's not looked. It's unwritten in the text. You know what he could do? The weight of this moment could become so great in the darkness Jacob could flee. And abandon his family. And don't tell me men haven't done that. Are you out there? Don't tell me that men under the pressures of the age have not abandoned their family. That was a very real possibility when he sent his family across the brook. Number two, 
He could have crossed the brook, got his family, and went an entirely different direction than where God said go. God said go back to your family and to the land. So a lot is hanging in the balance in this moment. It says, and Jacob was left alone. And in that moment, he doesn't expect to encounter anybody when movement I tell you what, he probably spoke in tongues because he's there alone, thinking, pondering, praying when suddenly somebody appears in the shadows. Are you out there? And I'm telling you, he suddenly encounters someone. Scripture kind of indicates that it is someone representing God and there is a struggle that takes place. Are you out there today? I want you to see this. And so we know it because we get the, the, the aid of hindsight. It's an angel that's representing God. Some believe it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Either way, it's some type of face-to-face encounter. And the scripture reveals that a wrestling match occurs. And perhaps at first, Jacob is unsure if this is a spiritual moment. But as the night progresses and moves forward, Jacob begins to realize that this is ever bit as much of a sacred moment as when he pillowed his head on the rock that he called Bethel 20 years earlier. And so Jacob, the man of the plain, the soft man, the man living in the tent, in that moment of time, Jacob gets a hold of this figure that he has been wrestling with with and Jacob gets a hold of him and he says I'm going to lay hold of this brother I don't know something about this says this is more than just an average Arabic man coming out and I'm wrestling with him this thing is a divine moment and he said I'm not going to let go I'm telling you men that's when your life will begin to change That's when your life will begin to change. When you get a hold of the divine presence of Almighty God and you say, I'm tired of the church game and I'm tired of running. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of the way that everybody perceives me to be. But this is my moment. I'm going to get a hold of this awesome God and I'm going to lay hold of Him until He works a change so marvelous in my life that I'll never be the same from this day forward. Are you out there today? So this man that has previously been content to stand in somebody else's blessing, he wants his own. He said, Lord, you got to bless me. There's a lot that Jacob's still got to face. He's got to face tomorrow. He's got to face Esau. He's got to face all the fears. And he knows he cannot do that of itself. He's got to say, God, you got to bless me. So here's where I'm going to begin to expose the heart of this message to this man. There will only be one other passage of place and notes real quickly. Let me tell you this, men, real quickly. Wrestling with God is the need of every man. Now, (laughs) there is so much depth in that. It's far better than the amen. Let me just tell you one more time. Wrestling with God is the need of every man. Let me tell you what. More men in the church today know more about wrestling with other men. WWE, WWF, WW this, WW that. We know about wrestling with men. We know about more about wrestling with the devil than we know about wrestling with God. I'm going to say that one more time because the only amen I got was from my daughter. So I'm going to say it one more time. We know more in our generation in the church about wrestling with the devil than we do with God. Because listen, when you bruise the devil and you're wrestling, you do prevail. Yes, you do. But when God bruises you, When you wrestle, you prevail. 
Oh, man, I want to say it one more time. Let me say it again. When you bruise the devil in your wrestling, how many of you know we're taught to do that? And we teach you to do that. We pull down strongholds and imaginations. But I'll tell you what, you got to be careful because even in your wrestling against the devil, you can get spiritually arrogant. You can walk around with your chest poked out saying, I bound the devil, I cast him down in the name of Jesus. Uh, and, but I'll tell you what, but when you wrestle with God, uh, you get broken before the Lord. Are you out there? And I want you to know that's when the favor and the blessing of God. And so we, when you bruise the devil, you prevail. But when God bruises you as you wrestle, you still prevail. Glory to God. The angel touched him. In the hollow of his thigh, the soft, regenerate part, Jacob is broken. From that day forward, he will never be the same. From that day forward, he's going to walk differently. From that day forward, it's going to reflect the result of his face-to-face encounter with God. So let me tell you, men, I want you to hear this. And there's a couple of things i got to drop in your spirit before I close today. Your walk will reflect your wrestling. <laughs> uh, but i tell you what, the ladies are way ahead of you. The best amen I'm getting today are from the ladies in here. Men, I'm going to just tell you, your walk that you have in faith is going to reflect who you've been wrestling with. And I want to tell you about wrestling today. Jacob has changed from this moment. Jacob has changed. And the touch that changed him came through the process of wrestling. And there are men under the sound of my voice, you want change, but you're unwilling to wrestle God to obtain it. You want it, but you want it to come without any effort on your part. But I want you to know you can, that if you're going to get uh, blessed and walk in the favor of God and walk in obedience to God, you're going to have to get tired of your character issues. You're going to have to get tired of your anger. And when your anger and your fear and your past and your frustrations move you and motivate you to the place where you say, I'm going to get a hold of God and I will not let go until He changes me, then you're going to continue to be Jacob. But I want you to know if my preaching today can stir something on the inside of you and you determine that God has more for you than what you have become, then you lay hold on God and you don't let go. And I'll tell you what, a change will be worked. i got another good thought for you, men, about your character issues, the anger and the regrets and the remorse and your identity crisis. You can't overcome it by rebuking the devil. You can't and you won't. Let me tell you this real quickly. What is inside, listen, listen, listen. What is inside cannot, you cannot overcome what's inside by, what is, by rebuking what is outside. Uh, let me say it one more time. What's inside of you can't be healed by you rebuking things on the outside. You better just get a hold of God and let the supernatural power of the touch of Almighty God touch you. And then you'll be changed, glory to God. And let me tell you what, when God touches you, many are afraid to be touched by God because of a, of a perverted view of masculinity. We think that to be masculine, we think our strength lies in our physical prowess, our position, or our prosperity. That's in the world and that's in the church. But let me tell you, if with God, your strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> are you out there today? Your strength is made perfect in weakness. And I, I, I put it here in my notes. If you go home walking like you came, you haven't had a touch from God. Because your walk's going to reflect your wrestling. The way we walk often reflects a little bit of our character. 
and the nature of our communion and fellowship with God. The way we walk paints a little story. i got to just tell you a couple thoughts real quickly on this. I've noticed to observe a little bit about people, even going back to this sermon, Awaken. <laughs> it's kind of funny now looking back at it. When I was in the military long years ago, my first duty station, I'm 18 years old, and there was an Airman Francois. So if I say this, it would not be offensive or anything, but I think he was a Creole, if you will, if that was because he was, I was in Louisiana, middle Louisiana. He was from southern Mississippi. He was in my first office that I worked at in the military, and I noticed that he walked a certain way, and so he was training me about it one day. He's like, that's right, Airman Francois was showing me how you walk with that. You kind of do that little drop like that, you know, right there. Uh, and then I notice bodybuilders have a certain way they walk. When they go into the gym and they get all puffed up right here, they come out like this, walking like that. You know, they got all this to show and everything. But let me tell you about people that get a hold of God, and God gets a hold of them. You'll have a walk that's a little bit different than that. You'll get a hold, God will get a hold of you as you get a hold of Him. And it won't be about your prowess, your strength, how cool you look, how good you think of all this. It'll be about your dependency upon God. The Bible says from that day forward that Jacob was walking, but he was walking with a limp, leaning upon his staff, because God had broken him. God had broken the cheater. God had broken the malicious man, the manipulator, the deceiver, the one that would look people in the eye and lie to them like it was the gospel truth. But on that particular moment of time, God got a hold of his heart, changed his life, and from that day forward, he walked. But brother, he walked with a limp. You know when your family's going to be blessed, men? When you, you move out of your arrogancy and you get broken before God and you walk with a brokenness that they see God working in your life. Glory to God. That's when true change happens in the life of a man. That's good preaching for a, an older fellow like myself. I've had to change over these years. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to close with this. And I am going to close. But I don't apologize for preaching with such passion. Because the The church is as strong as the family. And I'm going to be honest, many times the family is as strong as the husband and the father. And if men, men, get a hold of God and let him break you, he'll change you. He'll do it. The supernatural touch. Jacob, from that moment forward, walked differently. And you, you can too. I believe that there was a motivating factor in Jacob's life when he held on to God that day. And it was more than just the fear facing Esau. I believe this. I'm going to say this. We read the text. I know it's close. I'm going to bite Daryl in just a minute. It's Father's Day. I would say if you have more children than me, then I can we'll go on your schedule. But I probably have the most, but I may not. I'm, I'm going to be in the top five probably here today. So y'all give me a little grace here today to finish this message for these men. Correct? Come on, somebody. Amen. And, and so I believe that we need a stimulus in those moments. What's the stimulus? I don't believe it was just to be kept alive. I don't believe that. Jacob, when he held hold of God, held hold of the angel, whatever you want to say, he asked him for something. 
He said, I want you to bless me. But was it a blessing just, he was already, he had a big family. He had sheep. He gave away 200 sheep the next day. That's a blessed man. He said, I've got so much, I'm just going to give it away. So it wasn't financial resources. Here's what I believe it is. I believe he knew at that moment it was time for him to transition from just being someone who was blessed to being someone who can bless. And I'm going to say it this way real quickly. You cannot bless if you haven't been blessed. Jacob would soon be the one blessing others. And that so moved him that he laid hold of God. And he said, I ain't going to let go until I have the blessing of God in such a way that when that moment occurs in my life, I can speak the prophetic blessing over my family. Come on, somebody. That's where some of the men are at today. You see it, you hear about it in others, but you don't possess it. Let me tell you this, I can't give it to you. I can't give it to you. Neither the church, you can't read it in the book. There's only one way to get it. You better get alone with God. You better get alone with God. And when you get alone with God, I don't mean to be redundant and tell this story. But y'all have heard me tell you before. This was about a financial moment, but it was more than about financial moment. But I saw something change in my life, guys, when I was a young father. And y'all know I've told this story, and I know some of you say, man, he's, gonna, he's hitting that part of his life where he's telling these stories again like we never heard it. And this is like that third or fourth, fifth time. But I was standing in line, in the words of Jojo Riggs, at Steal Your Dollar City. Not Silver Dollar City, Steal Your Dollar City. And I was standing in the snow cone line. And I had six children pastoring a small church in Shirley. And something happened in my heart and that mind because I was having to count the dollars in my wallet to make sure I'd be able to buy a snow cone for my children. And I, nobody knows. There was rides, there was noise, there was loud, everything going on. It was, it was Silver Dollar City. But inside of me, something was changing. Sherry doesn't know. My children didn't know. But when I got back to my church at Shirley, when I'd go to my time in prayer, and I was a pastor living in a parsonage right by the church, I could pray at the altar when other people couldn't. But I wrestled with God. I got a hold of God, and I said, God, I got to have a blessing. I got to have a blessing, God. I got children, I got a heritage. I've got to have a blessing. Now, I've learned blessings not tied to monetary compensation or resource. Because as long as I'm blessed, I'm going to be all right, glory to God. Right? So you learn about that blessing. The point that I'm making is today. The blessing that's been upon our family, even financially, came. Because I got alone with God. I didn't call the prayer chain. I didn't tell other folks to pray for me. I just got in that prayer closet and I wrestled this thing out. And I said, God, you're the God of Abraham. And you're the God of Isaac. And you are the God of Jacob, glory to God. And if you could bless them, 
with resources, then you can bless me. You can find me up here in Shirley, Arkansas, and you can bring the blessing of God to my house and to my family. Glory to God. And because I believe at that moment, we saw the supernatural blessing of Almighty God when God transferred wealth into our lives. And we didn't have to do anything to earn it. It was just His supernatural blessing. Now, I want you to know today, I'm not talking entirely and completely at all about financial blessing. I'm talking about today now, I can walk in that contentment. Whether I have any money or not makes no difference. I can speak life when I don't have any money. Right, because I've been blessed by Almighty God. So I got to close. Daryl, join me on the platform. I'll make the people nervous if I don't bring you up. On that night, Shane, it was a night service. And it was under an open-air tabernacle. And we could tell the men to come forward and wrestle with God. Today, I'm going to send the men home. And tell them, find you a solitary place somewhere along your journey. And get alone with God. Are you out there today? Are you out there today, church family? Men, are you out there? And Jacob was left alone. Everything changed in Jacob from that day forward. I do like to pray over the men in a special way. I got five nuggets I got to drop in your heart when I conclude. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's looking around for just a moment of time. Pastor, you've been preaching to me today. I'm not alone, Pastor. I'm in a room with 200 men and women. I'm not by the Brook J. Bach. I know that, but God knows where you're at. You might not be alone physically. But you can be alone spiritually, relationally, distant, separate. Everything's not going to be fixed just today. I'm going to say that respectfully. Everything doesn't just get fixed instantly. But you can be changed. If you're here today and you say, Pastors, you preach today. As you preached, that was me. I was with you. I was, I was on that journey with Jacob. I was with him at Bethel. I was with him in the land of the east. I'm with you. I was with him in marriage entanglement. I was with him when he was forced to flee, when he was afraid. Even the beginning, when I didn't feel loved by my father, Compared to a brother that had other abilities that I didn't have. Whatever it is. Pastor, I'm with you there today. Can you do me a small favor? If that's you, would you slip a hand up today? Nobody's looking around. It's just me. I see some hands going up today. In this room, there's some honesty. Honesty. Honesty today. Honesty. I started the sermon off and said, I know where I, I knew where I was going. We were going to end in a wrestling match beside a brook in the darkness of the night. And I hoped, I hoped that even, even with that message, the gospel could be preached. There could be somebody under the sound of my voice, male or female, who hasn't made a profession of faith in Christ 
put their faith and their trust in Jesus and repented of their sins. And even though I want to pray for the men collectively today, as a group, I still want to give that invitation. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, through all your ranting and raving, I've come to the awareness that I don't know the Lord. And I want to profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, quickly, before I move any further into this altar call, slip your hand up today. I want to pray with you right where you're at. I'm waiting, if that's you. Men, I want to ask something of you. I want to ask all the church family to stand, if you would. Men, I, I usually come to this moment, and I give you something. I usually give you a wristband. I didn't do that this year. I've kind of been beating myself up for not doing it, but I, I didn't. Y'all can borrow my staff if you want to. But I still would like to do something. We did it with the ladies. I would just like the men to come forward and just stand and let's pray together to close the service. I don't know what time it is. I have refrained from looking at the time. But I want you to just have an, this can be the beginning, the beginning the journey, the journey was a process. Now, there were some very significant moments along the way. Bethel, and then now Peniel. Peniel means face to face. I know men, I know, I, I, I know men in this sense. Some, we, a lot of, we're private. We don't like to tell everybody. We don't like to tell people about this or that. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I mean, I know we need some people in our life that we can have an honest conversation with. But, you know, I've found God to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's where I confess my fault and need and my hurt and my pain and my sorrow and shame. I speak it to him. And I want to just ask you, and I want to encourage you, the thing I'm going to leave you with today is you got to wrestle with God. you just got to get along with God. The man you want to be is waiting on you to get along with God. And if you, by stepping out today, maybe you're signifying that says, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to take what you've said, and I'm, I'm going to find, I'm, I'm going to get alone. Just like I was standing in that snow cone line. It didn't happen right there. I didn't start shatakai mosiah and saying, Lord God, i got to have a snow cone blessing from heaven. I didn't do that. I waited till I could get alone. Because that's how men are. Isn't that right? That's how we are. I waited till I got alone. I didn't tell Sister Sherry. I didn't call my pastor and tell him. This was between me and God. If I was going to be able to bless my sons and daughters one day, and in completion, I had to have his blessing. And I wasn't going to get it any other way. I had to get it in a personal encounter with the living God. Did you know I believe for each of us here today, perhaps for some of you starting here today, our heads bowed one more time. Father, I pray over the men today. I know this differs, and I, I can't conclude it the way I did with those men that night years ago. But maybe, Father, this is the beginning. Maybe this is the beginning. For some, it's not a beginning. This is just part of the journey. They, they've been this way. They've been walking with a limp for a long time. But others have never come to the moment where they surrender so completely that, Lord, you break them. Lord, you break them. 
Guys, I want to just press you. I'll, I'll show you how to pray. Father God, today, I surrender all that I am to you. Are you all out there today, men? That's a simple prayer. You, you don't have to have a theology degree to be able to pray that kind of prayer. Father, I, I surrender all that I am, all my hopes, all my aspirations, every part of my life, I give it to you, Jesus. If there are habits in my life that are hindering the blessing, I want to lay them down. If I'm saying things to my spouse or my children or my family, and I'm giving the enemy place in those words, God, I want to pluck those words up, Lord, in Jesus' name. If I've allowed things that have been said about me by others to shape me to who I am, and it's been negative, God, I want to see that broken today in Jesus' name. And I want to become the man that you have called me to be. So that one day, leaning upon a staff, I can bless those that you have entrusted to me. As I lean into my dependency upon God, I now, with the brokenness in my life, can bless those in my family. In Jesus' mighty name. And amen. Guys, I want to tell you one thing, just real quickly. This is the end of this sermon. This were the freebies. I believe God gives us a new name. Jacob, from that day forward, God said, people might still call you Jacob, but God said, I'll call you Israel. Did you know, guys, there will come a moment, there will come a moment in your life where people will eventually see you differently. They will. Because of how you walk, how you talk in your relationship with God. Number two, I believe the blessing of God will come upon you. If you get a hold of God, the Bible says the following day the sun did shine upon him. How many of you know the blessing of God will run you down? It will literally run you down. God will give you the courage to face your past. Some people have a past that's clean, and it's pretty easy to deal with. But, man, I'll tell you what, we live in a congested generation, don't we? And it's hard at times. Come on, it's hard. People you've hurt, people that hurt you. And I believe God will give you such a measure of faith that your brokenness will allow God to use you to face those in your past who either hurt you or you hurt. And you can still face them because of the grace of God working in your life. That's powerful right there. But I did note this. This is free. This is the addendums that I've added to the sermon. Jacob made peace with Esau, yet he still distanced himself from him. He overcame his past, but he didn't live with it. That's a good point right there. There's a little philosophy, uh, what is it, philosophy even in my sermons. Number four, as you learn to walk with the limp, your dependency upon God, you now will become confident that you can bless others. Because you know it wasn't you in the first place. I can bless my sons and daughters because I can say it wasn't anything in me, it was all him. It was all him. And guys, lastly, Later, Jacob led his family back to Bethel. You may have came here today and it was your wife, your children, child, who led you to the house of God. But there will come a day when you will lead your family back to Bethel. Dr. Brassfield, come up here and pray a sweet blessing upon these men. Bring me a microphone if you would. I'm so honored to be in service Dr. Brassfield is a spiritual father to our house and to our church family. And we're going to let him 
if he would. If you don't mind, I put him on the spot, but when you're apostolic, you've got to be able to do those things. Come on, somebody. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I love you.